shortly going to be joined by Alice Soper as we look at how we get the step up, how do we carry on with the magnificence of women's sport, particularly team sport, and the engagement that it has ignited here in New Zealand. Hey, Ruby Tui. They said nobody cared about women's rugby, but guess what? We out here. We out here, fam. We're going nowhere. Weekend Sports. We're joined now on the program by Alice Soper. She is a journalist for the Herald Writing on Sport as we look back at a phenomenal 2022 for the Wahini in Amotu. Welcome to the show, Alice. It's been a crazy 2022, yeah? Oh, it's been my favourite time. I've been in a desert of content only to have all of my Christmases arrive at once with just so much women's sports to get my teeth stuck into. You wrote something wonderful in the New Zealand Herald, which is partially why I'm talking to you now, because I think it's really, really important. The last sentence you wrote in a story about the good and the bad of 2022 uh, was women's sport has arrived. Uh, It's all come crashing down in the collective consciousness of sports fans. And I don't think there's been a bigger year when it comes to engagement and more importantly, coverage of women's games right across the board, not just in one sport, but in, in numerous sports. Yeah, and I mean, look, that has to be, first and foremost, due to the fact that we had hosting rights, right? Like, we had no uh, no excuse not to put it on the air because we had the Cricket World Cup and then the Rugby World Cup right here on our doorstep. So long, we've been champions, and, you know, particularly when it comes to the Black Ferns, what I always say to people is, we've known, you know, cerebrally that, that these women are amazing. We know the stats. We know they've won five World Cups. And now to see them win their six on the home ground, we had to feel it. And that's the difference that you have when you have it at home, uh, to be able to be able to touch it and get hold of it and go, wow, this is, you know, what the rest of the world has known we are this good at for a long time. But, you know, it's the same for our our, our cricket wahine as well. They did an amazing job with that tournament, particularly with the fact that they were still having restricted crowds. And you looked at the stats that came out of the viewership on the back of that, unreal stuff. Um, And, you know, you just hope that when it comes to next year, hey, we might not have the international ones, but we've got plenty of domestic competitions for us to keep this hype going. Yeah, and and look, you go to domestic competitions like Opiki, for example. Um, We know how good the women are in the Super Smash and uh, the rest of those those sports, but... How do we continue the momentum? I suppose that is the big trick because when you've got it at home, you've got the media attention, you've got it on TV, it's all very well to wallow in it. But what has to happen through 2023 now to maintain what we've managed to pick up over the last year or so, Alice? Yeah, I think it's about moving away from the hesitancy. You know, I think the thing that administrators sometimes fail to recognise is their hesitancy is contagious. If we see them kind of umming and ahhing at the top of doing things by half measure, and that includes, you know, in terms of our domestic leagues, uh, that that can be like, oh, is it really worth me going down and, and turning up um, if, if, you know, whoever it is that's running the sport isn't necessarily giving it the full love that they, they can. So I really want to see people stop doing this. Oh, we're just kind of putting on this competition to tick a box and instead get excited about it. There is a fantastic woman over in the uh, US whose name, of course, I have immediately forgotten, who talks often about how we have to move away from the way that we speak about women's sports. Often we are talking about it like it's a charity, like you need to do us a favour by turning up and watching. And instead we've missed the opportunity to talk to people about how exciting it is. And I don't think there's anything more exciting to watch than women's sports at the moment because the way that things are changing so rapidly in terms of the skills that are out there, you know, we're seeing, I think it was four other teams that professionalised in women's rugby last year. You know, at the beginning of the year, it was just England. Then New Zealand caught up, 
then Ireland joined in, then Italy as well, uh, who are all jumping on and saying we have to pay for this. Well, if you see that continue and that trajectory, you're going to end up seeing those results from people no longer having to be part-time professionals and able to invest in their craft. But also, if you're having that paid professional at the top, you're going to have to have those domestic leagues that are competitive enough to be able to make those contracts worthy. So we want to see that. See people get excited about those domestic leagues, but let's see us market them invest in them, promote them, um, you know, not let's not schedule things. You know, we talked about the All Black Clash, obviously, with the Black Ferns during uh, the World Cup, but that happened all during the FPC. I had to have two screens on. FPC, sorry for those uh, newer people, Farah Palmer Cup, that's our version of provincial rugby um, here in New Zealand. So we had to have two screens on to be able to be watching, you know, Waikato and Canterbury at the same time, and that shouldn't be the case. There's, uh, you mentioned the hesitancy around major mm. organisations actually promoting the sport. This has been a shot in the arm for them knowing build it and they will come. I know it's a bit of a, a cliched existence, but I get the feeling that a lot of administrators actually didn't realise the success they would have. So what we've seen in 2022 should be uh, more strength to their arm for the future. Understand too that this is a whole untapped market that you're sitting on top of. You know, this is the conversation I often have with people. Is they assume it's about kind of tricking current fans into also uh, getting behind the women's team when really they've missed a trick, which is a whole range of people that have never connected uh, with their sport before, but have an, a new opportunity to because they've got people on the field that look like them. You know, you look at who turned up. Uh, at Eden Park. Yeah, there was a number of people that were prior rugby fans, but there were a lot of people that had never watched the game before. You know, my little brother included, he's only ever been to Eden Park to watch women play, uh, and that's because he feels inherently more comfortable in a crowd uh, at a women's game than he does at a men's game, you know, and it's because it is a different group of people there. So understand that difference in terms of your audience too, and that potential. It's not about cannibalising the current market, it's about creating a whole new one. So know who you're talking to. I think we have got another opportunity. Obviously, we're going to have the biggest tournament in the world for women next year, which is going to be the Football World Cup. So I think if we're paying attention and if our administrators are too, to what FIFA does, I mean, hell, <laughs> I have my own issues with them. <laughs> um, and have we, all with that, we all do. We all do. They, they do run a big, big show, and I don't think we've ever seen something quite like that. You know, the World, Rugby World Cup was obviously huge for us in terms of it being a rugby nation, but in terms of the slick marketing production, we haven't had anything like FIFA here uh, for women's football. So that's going to be another whole level up. What do you think the men and male sport can learn from what's happened over the last few years? Oh, look, I think it's a, a reconnection back to who they were, isn't it? Like, I, I know I talk to a lot of people and it feels like it's that nostalgia for the early 90s where people, like, were, like players were still people as well. We've got this whole production line where we're pulling kids out of school and putting them into, you know, you, this is how you become an all black at 16 and there's no opportunity for them to figure out who they are as well as who their dreams are, you know? Like, we, we, we've kind of just gone too hard into pushing people into this mould that we're not allowing them to be their whole selves, and that's what people loved. You know, when they're talking to uh, Ruby Tui, it's the whole of herself, not really what she's doing on the field. Like, hey, I was probably one of the controversial ones that would have benched her for Aisha Lefianga. <laughs> but, you know, I love her in every post-match. Put her on there and put her on the mic, you know? So it's that type of stuff, allowing people to have personalities, allowing us to have connection back to community. That's the other reason people turn up. First and foremost, is because they know them. You know, I've got, um, I was yelling in the stand for Jonah Nangwu to jump because I've done that to her in, uh, in club <laughs> games 
here in Wellington. You know, I've had the, the displeasure of having to try and throw past those hands. So we have those um, those connections there, and I think that's something that we can't forget. We have this rush towards commercialism, and I understand it. We're a brand now. It's a business. But you also have to remember that who that business you're, you're selling it to, and you're selling it to the community. So you have to be connected to them as well. And so, you know, one of the best games I saw of men's rugby of late was when they had the um, Parliamentary 15 player group of invitational that Ken Laban had put together uh, out here in Wainuiomata, where I live, um, just after COVID. And it was fantastic. You know, there was maybe, well, nearly, nearly over 500 people that had turned up to watch a whole bunch of ex-All Blacks and things play and a couple of MPs. Uh, and it was great stuff, you know, and people were really excited about it. And I was thinking, that's the type of thing you could run at the beginning of every club season, give people a chance to give back. And by that, I mean not while you're being paid to be there, but give them really opportunities to connect back with the communica- uh, communities that they came from. And I think if you talk to those blokes, that's what they'd love to do too, is be themselves both on and off the field. And finally, um, Alice Soper, thanks so much for joining us on the program. It's not all beer and skittles, though. What are the pitfalls? What could possibly go wrong? What have been the issues that maybe have been glossed over because we're so in love with the with the women's games? I'm, look, look, if I'm talking about my chosen sport, if I'm talking about rugby, I'm really concerned about who's our next coach. Uh, and I think that that uh, lays beer a lot of structural issues that we have. So if you look at Opiki, for example, we've had two women that have just been put in charge um, of teams. So now my Hurricanes Poa have Tours uh, Grant and the Chiefs Manawa have uh, Crystal Kowa. Now that's great, but if you look at the total numbers across uh, the coaching setup, we have no more women coaching this year than we did last year. We have a reconfiguration, but the same numbers involved. Now, that's an issue if we're talking in terms of pathways up to the top. We don't have... Uh, a, a structure where we have been investing in specialists in women's rugby for a long time. So we've got a really small handful of people that they will be looking at, and that's a challenge uh, because we've got people that have been around for quite a while, been through the good and the bad. Uh, so it's a case of are we ready really to have someone as good to be stepping in to replace Wayne? I don't know if we, t- if we do. Uh, when it comes to cricket, I would love to see us be much more ambitious when it comes to the next round of negotiations. I reckon they sold them out short uh, when it came domestically. You know, the reality is, is most of those women are still going to have to head overseas if they want to be playing and, and making some decent money. Game day is good. But that's only that's like only getting paid for your exam and none of the prep. Do you know what I mean? We have to get all that stuff in uh, around it too. I think there's a brewing thing that's been going on for a long time about how high performance, whether it actually works for people, uh, and that's you know across the board. I think we've got this uh, tendency to be focusing on again people as product. We're not. We're human. We have flaws. We have issues. You know, for a long time. We call that the yips, or we call it choking, and it's all mental health stuff, eh? And I just don't think that this high performance space is really working for anyone at the moment. So we probably need to have a big old overhaul of that. But, you know, that's if I'm getting really radical on you. And a real pleasure for you to do so, Alice Soper. Don't be a stranger. I'd love to have you back on the program over the next 12 months. Alice, of course, writes for the New Zealand Herald, plays a bit of rugby in his spare time as well. Good on you, Alice. Thanks for your time. Cheers, mate.